No, literally, a monkey statue said words to me. And now I'm <laughs> acting on it like the son of Sam Killer with the dogs. Question, do you think that Jay would commit murder? <laughs> Not right away, but maybe if they sang to her all night. <laughs> Last for Yorick, our podcast adventure, where we take an in-depth look back on TV shows that were canceled after a single season or less. Today, we're talking about episode two of Wonderfalls, Pink Flamingos. I'm Kim. I'm a 28-year-old pastry chef from Nashville, Tennessee. A few things about me. I'm a Hufflepuff. My favorite animated Disney movie is Hercules. And if I had a Shakespearean tragic flaw, it would be my clumsiness. I'm seriously concerned it's going to be my literal downfall. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kthrow, where I post pictures of food and all caps yell about everything. I'm Kaylee. I am a 29-year-old freelance writer. I live in Los Angeles, California. I am a Ravenclaw, but if I went to Hogwarts, the sorting hat would probably be like, but you do great things in Slytherin. And I really identify with Leslie Nope, especially on the issue of salad. Basically everything you need to know about me. I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm getting over a cold. I hope I don't sound too congested. I'm more nasal than usual. Super <laughs> Okay, do you want to start with overall impressions about the episode? Sure. I have seen this episode, I watched it twice for this, and I have seen it probably like four or five times now in my life, and I think I'm good on watching it again for a long time. I don't dislike this episode, it was good. Is it mean to say if we never see Gretchen Speck again, I'll be all right? <laughs> no, that's not mean. I've seen this episode definitely twice. I watched it twice for recording this. And then I honestly, like, the more I watch this as an adult, the less I'm sure I saw very much of it as a child. <laughs> I feel like I had distinct memories of watching this when I was in whatever, high school or however old we were when this was on the air. And now I don't remember any of this distinctly. So I don't know if we're just going to get to like episode six and I'm going to be like, that's the one I know. Nope, because they only <laughs> aired four. So nope, definitely not going to be that then. But I didn't mind Gretchen too, too much. I don't mind the annoying on purpose characters like that. I don't hate her. I just, in a con one episode, that's my limit. Oh yeah, like at the beginning when she like does the fake out where she's like, I'm the new manager. I was like, oh, really? really? Oh, good, good, you're not. It was a very not Jay-centric episode. Obviously she's still the protagonist. It's not her story this episode, it seems like. No, definitely not. I liked the pilot better than this, but it's episode two, so it's fine. Yeah. I liked that we were out of pilot mode. I liked that we weren't just going around doing kind of perfunctory... Table setting. Yeah, introductions and stuff. But yeah, it wasn't a super strong episode, I would say. So it opens with Jay at her family's house and her and her dad are going out for breakfast. And it seems like this is a tradition of theirs. Yeah, I feel like it's a regular thing that they do. I really like her dad. I liked him last episode and now I love him even more. Oh, he's very cool. I like the dad more, and I like the mom even less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
the first instance of animals talking or objects talking to her in this episode are these pink lawn flamingos, which the idea that Karen Tyler would have pink lawn flamingos, <laughs> I don't know that I buy that, but okay. <laughs> They're in her yard and they tell Jay to get off your ass. <laughs> now, I think Jay thinks that the implication is, hey, get up off your literal ass and help your dad bring in the recycling bins, but I don't think that's what they meant. No, you know, if we take a literal interpretation of it, I think it very much seems like it would be what Jay thinks. Get up and help your dad take in the recycling, which she doesn't do. In the pilot, things have told her to steal and go confront strangers, and she did that. But getting out of the car for three seconds when they're already running late for brunch or whatever is just too much. (laughs) I have to put my foot down somewhere, and this is the hill I die on. I won't stand up. (laughs) I won't help carry an empty trash can 12 (laughs) feet. (laughs) But whatever. Uh. So this is part of what makes me think that it's not her personal insanity, because whatever made the pink flamingos tell her that she should get off her ass, it seems like knew she was 100% not going to do that. Because, spoiler, it becomes very important that she didn't help him and in fact ran over him with a car. Right. If she had gotten off her ass, literally, what would have become of that moment? She would have helped him carry it in the trash and whoop-de-doo, here's your merit match for being a decent daughter. Right. It felt like in that moment, the things talking to her were just... They're like reverse psychology. Yeah, like annoying her so she'll reach across the car and like accidentally run her dad over. That's another one of those things, like, with the quarter last episode, they're like, how did you know that that's what she would do? Right. Which is what kind of makes me think that whatever is causing this, it's some greater universal power. I don't think it's really God, necessarily, because I don't feel like everything she does is for the betterment of mankind, although there's a little of that. Like, she does help Gretchen. And, you know, with this one, she, kind of back to my theory from last week, she made this wish subconsciously to connect better with her family or whatever her subconscious want was and now like, all of a sudden she's appreciating breakfast with her dad more because he ditches her and gets here and pick him up from the hospital later and then also she helps him in like a really profound way so that obviously strengthens their bond like, he's never going to forget that happy coincidence so you think there's like a duality to them saying get off your ass they're telling her get off your ass in relation to go to your high school reunion and or get your life together because the scene happens while she keeps getting saved the dates in the mail for her six and a half year high school reunion and is like i don't want to go to this please (laughs) (laughs) which fair i didn't hold that against her And the flamingos are telling her to get off her ass. And I think that they assume, will assume she's talking about get off your ass literally, but they're talking nothing about that. About do something with your fucking life. Which is like general advice that's good for Jay to get. Do something. Do something. Yeah, she's a very passive protagonist at times. Things happen to her a lot. And when things happen because of her, it's because something told her to have it happen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's not super proactive. No. But I guess that's also kind of the point. If you're the person who is so passive about your own existence that inanimate objects need to maybe give you a nudge. Literally inanimate objects. (laughs) (laughs) Like pink lawn flamingos are doing more with their existence. (laughs) Than you. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So because they're pesting her, she pulls the brake and the car rolls backwards as her father 
somehow does not get out of the way of a slow-moving vehicle. <laughs> and <it's ran> over. <laughs> I mean, he's really in the zone, moving those recycling bins. I guess, I guess so. But he gets ran over and goes to the hospital, and we go to the hospital room. And where is Aaron? I'm just saying, where is he? Your dad might be dead. But anyway, which is apparently like the call that Sharon got. Like, right. dad's in the hospital. He might be dead. <laughs> Jay tried to kill dad. Again? Question mark? Uh, <laughs> dad says something. He's like, when you're careless, it's not because you don't care. These things just happen with you. And, like, part of me really feels for Jay. Because I feel like she wasn't being careless. Shit just happens sometimes. Like, she well, reached to close a door and accidentally bumped a brake lever. It's not her fault you were standing behind a car. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, to be fair, that is a little careless. Like is you bumped <sighs> Like you bumped the brake, which by definition means you weren't taking care to not bump the brake. Yeah. I'm not saying like it's not careless in like a negligent kind of way. Exactly. I feel like it's not negligence. It's shit. Some people are just schlemiels, okay? But, like, it's certainly carelessness. Because also, it was pretty careless to not go help your dad move the stuff. You shouldn't have been in the car anyway. Yeah. There were something like four recycling bins, which, by the way, okay. Like, that's a lot of recycling <laughs> for one house. Also, Karen later is like, environmentalism, gross. It's like, bitch, you have four recycling bins. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I agree. You definitely feel for Jay in that moment. It just becomes very clear that this is a pattern for her. The fact that she ran over a family member with a car accidentally it doesn't phase anyone. It's just like, there's Jay for you. Well, later, Mahandra predicted that it was Jay based on literally no evidence. <laughs> right. She's like, my dad got run over. Oh, I'm sure you didn't mean to. <laughs> What has happened in Jay's past where there's, yeah, it was probably you. Right. <laughs> like, that's me. That is me. <laughs> I just like to precariously stack things sometimes, and Chris is like, what are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just assume things will work out. <laughs> <laughs> it's optimism uh, on your part. I like it. I love that about you. I literally have screamed, I surrender to destiny while, like, being perched on top of a bar stool, which is perched on top of a stack of books to, like, reach a light bulb. Oh, God. You know, Chris is just like, what are you doing? Ask for help. I'm like, look, when I die, just tell the police that I was fighting off cat burglars. <laughs> Give me a heroic <laughs> ending. That's all I ask. <laughs> You're like, when I die, don't let people know I fell accidentally. Maybe frame some innocent people, because they're going to go looking for these cat burglars who don't exist. <laughs> no, just give them, like, ridiculous descriptions of people who couldn't possibly exist. They were purple. They had one ear and three nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But then they leave, and in the parking lot, we are introduced to Beth again, who is ten times hotter without bangs. <laughs> I like that Sharon called Beth. I guess we're meant to assume that they were on the phone when Sharon got the call. But, like, I love that Beth rushes to the hospital. Like, what a good not-even-your-girlfriend. Just rushing to a hospital, like, are you okay? Your dad Is your dad okay? Yeah, Beth definitely oscillates between seeming like she wants this hardcore long-term relationship with Sharon and seeming like she's 
I, I'm okay with this being casual, and also I want you to take this seriously. You can't have a cake and eat it too. Right. I like Sharon in general, though. I feel like we don't get lesbian Republicans on TV very often, so that's great. <laughs> True. It's also like just nice to have a storyline about someone who's closeted in their 30s, because not everyone's out and proud at 21. It's nice to get the variety there. I also love that Jay does have the opportunity to basically out Sharon and doesn't. Covers right. for her. She's a good sister, which is cool, because the only person who should decide who and when and how they're out to anyone is the person who's going to PSA. Exactly. Yeah. And then we go to Wonder Falls, where Gretchen says, I'm your new manager. I love that Alec just lets her, she just bulldozes over him. <laughs> She's just sitting in the manager's desk with her feet up. It's like, you're a friend of an employee, and yet you're just owning the place. Gretchen is there to try and guilt trip Jay into helping her with this six and a half year reunion because everyone else has careers and families, so I thought you'd be the perfect person to ask. But the implication here is, Gretchen, do you not have a career and a family either? Because you're focusing on this. True. That comes to light as the episode progresses that really Gretchen doesn't have anything going on. The only reason they're having it is because if they had a 10-year reunion, she theoretically wouldn't be able to attend. And what's the point in having it if she's not there? Right. So then we go to the bar where Gretchen has followed them and Mahandra is there and yeah, all of that. Is doing helium a thing? I'm not a recreational drug user or ever really have been, so I don't know. Is that a thing? You are asking the wrong person. I am less likely to know that than you are. (laughs) (laughs) Because Gretchen tries to persuade Mahandra and Jay into helping by saying, I'll let you fill the helium balloons and like implies you can like suck off the tap. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Which reminded me of Garden State, which again... Is that a thing? Does helium get you high? I don't know. Like, in my mind, it makes you lightheaded, but that might just be because I'm picturing your head as a balloon when you suck helium. <laughs> it literally is filling your head like <laughs> a balloon. I have, like, a Roger Rabbit <laughs> understanding of drug use, I think, because I just picture someone's head <laughs> becoming a cartoon balloon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... I know... That's fair. You could not convince me that that's not the case. (laughs) Since we have not tried it, we can't confirm that that's not what happens. It does hint that Jay may or may not have been a stoner burnout in high school. Definitely think she was a loner, minus Mahandra and that friendship. So I'm sure to someone like Gretchen, anyone who wasn't on the cheerleading team was a stoner burnout. Well, she thought the girl with muscular dystrophy was a girl. I also like that they make it clear Gretchen just really thought that. Like, it wasn't like she was making fun of someone she knew had muscular dystrophy. She's just so... She's that oblivious. Oblivious, yes. It's a nice little thing to add in because it makes it easier to sympathize with her as a character if we accept that she's just well-meaning and dumb. I don't think she's well-meaning, though. I think that she is a classic high school bully. Well, I don't know. I really wasn't sure what they were going for. Obviously, she's very self-centered and puts herself first in every scenario. But I think when she goes to ask Jay to help her with the reunion, I don't think she thinks of it as I'm being super selfish and Jay is never going to want to do this. I'm going to guilt her into it. I think she genuinely thinks Jay will probably want to help me with this. Why wouldn't someone want to hang out with me for a week or whatever? Which is self-centered and shitty, 
but I don't think she realizes how mean she is to people sometimes. But, like, they told us in the last episode that she wiped her ass with someone's gym towel. We also learned that she put activator in Mahandra's shampoo to give her an afro. Oh, wait, I forgot about that. <laughs> Who does that? No, that's terrible, actually, yeah. No, I completely forgot about the thing from the pilot and that Mahandra moment, which was, yeah, her hair, hair fell, fell out. out. Which really justifies how vindictive Mahandra is. You ruined my high school photo. Theoretically, Mahandra still looks like a boss. And then her hair fell out. Like, I can't decide. I mean, I'm all about some gray area. I love the <laughs> hundred, so I can love a villain. It's fine. She's both an asshole and terrible, but I also feel sorry for her. Well, and I guess what I mean is those little moments where you realize that, at least in some cases, she's being oblivious and not actively terrible, it allows us to feel sorry for her. Which is a smart thing, because we have to feel sorry for her for this episode to work. Yeah, for sure. So she borrows Eric's phone to call her dad at the hospital to see if he needs her to pick him up. And he's not going to have her pick him up. Uh, he's going to stay overnight. He's going to have Sharon pick him up in the morning because her car is bigger. Dad, I think, really has no ulterior motive here. He's hanging out at the hospital having a good boy's night. And he's going to call Sharon in the morning because he doesn't want to be a hassle. And Sharon's car is bigger. But Jay is instantly just, fuck. I ran him over, and now I'm not his favorite daughter anymore, and <laughs> is worried that Sharon is taking her place. This is the thing that propels her to get off her ass. If you think about it, in the first episode, the thing that propelled her to make a match and put poor bitch and Sharon together is that the wax lion sang all night and interrupted her sleep. This is twice now that Jay's actions have been motivated from her own gain alone. You know what I mean? Not out of kindness. Oh, fuck, not getting off my ass is negatively impacting my personal life. So I guess I'll do what I need to do. Yeah, but I don't really have a problem with that because I see a lot of this as helping Jay get out of her own way. In a lot of ways, she is negatively impacting her life by just how not participatory she is in it. Although I thought the dad called Sharon because he didn't want to interrupt Jay actually participating in the reunion planning. He might have said that as well. That's entirely possible. Which I actually think is pretty sweet and really establishes that their relationship stayed super close in his mind. Yeah, I do agree. They're trying to get Jay to get out of her own way. But like, if they're trying to make her a better person who does things out of kindness for others, they're still not succeeding at that. Yeah, I'm just not sure that that's even the goal of the show. Yeah, you don't think they're trying to make Jay care more about other people? Well, I mean, maybe in the process, but I'm not sure that the goal of the talking inanimate objects is to make her be a better person and help others. I think a lot of it is about helping her get her life back on track. Right. And somehow by her getting her life more in order, the people around her's lives will also benefit in an ancillary way. Yeah. Part of the nature of having a well-rounded life, I think at least in the opinion of the show, is having relationships with other people and being a part of the world and the community that you live in. And so I think in that way, she does have to reach out and have to participate with other people. But I don't think it's necessarily the main goal of the advice that she's being given. And then we go to Jay's trailer. I screencapped it when it showed us Mahandra's yearbook thing, and Mahandra was involved in many clubs. She was in business and geography and drama and journalism, and then under future it said uncertain, which, Aww. what a cruel thing to put in a yearbook. That's really interesting. <laughs> that was very smart of you. 
I was pausing and taking notes as I watched. You're so studious. I love it. I love studious, Kim. I know. If only I'd blind myself like this in high school. I know. Think of what you could have done if a podcast about Wonderfalls was a class. <laughs> I could have gone to Brown. <laughs> but I think that that's really interesting. This idea that maybe Jay is kind of standing still because she doesn't do anything. And maybe Mahandra's in a similar situation, but because she has so many interests and hasn't chosen a path yet. Yeah. We get a little bit more insight to Jay and I think more fuel for I feel like Jay is full of shit because they talk about Mahandra doesn't really want to go. One, because it's been six and a half years and this is not the way that you do this. <laughs> Jay also says, I don't miss those people yet and I don't think time is something that can solve that. Oh, I feel that <laughs> for sure. But she says, oh, so-and-so is going and she's a councilwoman and so-and-so is going and he's an astronaut. <laughs> and Jay says, man, this moving things up really screwed up my timeline. It's like, you do care. You care what people think about. You want them to think that you're impressive and you know that your job isn't impressive. And yet you also don't want them to look down upon you or give you shit for not trying. You can't have it both ways. I think Jay cares a lot what people think about her. I mean, we talked about this last week, too. I think a lot of Jay's not trying is a defense mechanism because she's, like, really afraid of failing in the eyes of her family and her peers and herself, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just frustrating because if, if you want to do more, then do more. And, like, I get it. The fear is stupid and you can't rationalize that away. You can want to be productive and still, like, unable to make yourself do it. But it's just frustrating to watch as a third party. But, like, you have all the potential in the world. Just do something with your life. The rest of the episode is split between the Tyler's house with Darren, Sharon, and Beth, and then the reunion stuff. You want to do the whole Darren, Sharon, Beth stuff first, and then we'll do all the reunion at once? Sure, that sounds good. Okay, so Sharon picks up Dad from the hospital and takes him to their house, and oh, Darren, he's so sweet, but what an oblivious pain in the ass. Oh, I know. <laughs> Every time he's like, I wouldn't say no to, I was like, shut up. That's such a dad thing to do, though. I think he really doesn't think he's putting her out. <laughs> Which well, is like, and this family, like, assumes that Sharon has no life. Like, she's never had a relationship as far as they know. She just, you know, what else would she be doing? That's what Beth says. Can you blame them? Of course they think you have nothing going on in your life. You don't share anything with them. So the premise is, is that Sharon has to stay there all night because someone has to check his toes every 45 minutes <laughs> to make sure they're not blue. Also, mom could have not gone to the reunion that she's not really a part of. That's what Karen is doing, right? Right. And Darren said, oh, Karen had plans. And I know if I asked her, she would have canceled them. And I wanted to like, would she have? <laughs> would she? <laughs> so Sharon was supposed to go on a date with Beth, I guess. And she calls her and Beth is like, okay, you're blowing me off. I'm going to blow you off. And it's really fair for Sharon to be upset. She's choosing to not be out to her family for whatever her reasons are, and that's totally valid. And it's fair for her to be like, I need you to accept this. But it's also equally fair for Beth to be like, I don't want to be a part of this complicated thing. You know what I mean? It's fair to be like, I don't want to be in a relationship that has to be a secret. Right, totally. But so Sharon, because she doesn't want Beth to blow her off and is trying to prove I can make this work somehow, decides to drug her father. <laughs> This is very Brian Fuller because it's filmed in like this film noir mommy dearest way. These tears grow like shadows, which Diana Scarwood, who plays the mom, was in Mommy Dearest. So fun fact. Oh, interesting. 
So she drugs her dad, so he passes out, and then invites Beth over. I also love that, like, okay, they're a pretty well-to-do upper-middle-class family. We can assume that at the very, very, very least, there are three bedrooms in this house. But more likely is that there was a parents' room, a guest room, Jay, and Aaron insurance. So there's, like, five fucking rooms in this house. <laughs> Why are they making out in the living room on the floor? <laughs> also, I didn't notice it when I watched it, so kudos to editing. But apparently, you never see them kiss in the show. Because in 2004, Fox was like, no gay kissing on TV. Oh, how far we have come. 2004 wasn't that long ago. And now we've got gays on Supergirl. Great. So they're going to make out. And Sharon keeps on worrying that Darren's going to wake up. And Beth is like, dude, this is killing the vibe. And she said, I'm sorry, things are complicated. And Beth's like, it's okay, I understand. I was just recently married to a man. It'd be a lot worse if I was gay. And Sharon's like, ah, like needle scratch on a record player. And then we have this whole conversation that makes me both happy and angry. This conversation is a whole lot to both reinforce but also combat against stereotypes against bisexual people because there's this false belief that somehow people who are bisexual are inherently going to be like more prone to infidelity or more promiscuous, which is bullshit. Because Sharon, like, on one hand, I don't want to babble through this because I have a lot of feelings. (laughs) She says, you're not gay. And she says, not exclusively. I also like men. There's a part of me that is mad because there's a fucking word for that. Just say bisexual. There are people who don't subscribe to labels and maybe like she is still figuring out her sexuality. I guess that's totally valid. But I also feel like in the media, we could do with more women who are saying definitively, I am bisexual because so often treated as like a transitional thing between a character who was once straight and is now gay or was bisexual. But then we forget that she was ever bisexual because she later goes on to reference herself as being a lesbian, etc, etc. I just, it's like saying bisexual is a dirty word. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess this is something I would love to hear your take on specifically. So what I found really problematic, the way that Beth phrases her stake in the situation, this would be like way harder on me if I were gay, like almost as though it's like, well, this would be a really big deal for me if I exclusively liked women, but because I can always fall back on dating a man, this isn't a big deal. Even if that wasn't the intended implication, that's the initial gut read I got on it. It made me really uncomfortable, and also the fact that even if she's clearly bisexual, which is totally fine and totally valid, but to distance herself from the idea of being gay so definitively in that first statement. Right, like she implies that being queer is less difficult for her because she's queer light. She's a bisexual or something. Exactly. The bisexual experience is not any less difficult, if not, sometimes it is more so because you get ostracized from both sides of the community. You're not gay enough for the gays, and you're too gay for the straight. Right, yeah. I definitely thought that that was maybe not the best way for the show to handle that, although it's possible that that's also like a product of just the time that they were in, and maybe there were issues with the network not being comfortable with this discussion going in a certain direction. I don't want to pin all of this on the writers and showrunners because there was the whole political landscape of television at the time. But still, they had the Beth character distance herself from the queer experience in a way that I thought was a little off. It just, like, read wrong. And then there's also the troubling aspect of how Sharon reacts to this, like you said, with kind of this idea that there's this stereotype that bisexual people are more likely to be promiscuous or cheat, or also that perhaps Beth 
will just decide that actually she just wants to go back to men and that Sharon is instantly, like you can see all of these fears just kind of instantly bubble up. But I'm much more interested in your take on this situation as a bisexual woman than, than my take on it as someone who has not lived this experience. That's weird because like the line that you're talking about, was, I didn't even get that read on it when I watched it, but like now that you're talking about it, that's totally valid. As if she doesn't have to go through a coming out experience because she's not actually gay. Which is, I'm sure you still had to explain to your family why you're no longer with a man and you're now dating a woman. Which like makes me feel like either the writers don't understand the implication of that line or the character was already out as a bisexual or queer in some way prior to the pilot. But if that was the case, then why does Formich act like it was so out of left field? <sighs> but yeah and it's fair in the relation fair to be like i'm worried that i'm not gonna be good enough or that i'm gonna stray but like you have to know where your fears are rooted in why do you have these fears and if it's based on bullshit lesbian women expecting bisexual women to just at any point leave you because they decide they want a partner of the other gender like the bisexual person is with someone it's because of who you are not because of your gender so i'm not going to leave you just because oh i decided i'd like to be with a man again no i decided i don't want to be with you anymore yeah i like that beth at least puts sharon in her place about it she calls her fears and says i'm not gonna be with a man again as long as our relationship is going well but i just don't Hmm, I wish I was more articulate than this. Yeah, I'm happy because I want there to be bisexual women on TV, and I'm willing to grant grace to Beth because I want to, like, identify with her. But I also, I want to make sure that the show is taking the stance that Sharon's negative reactions and negative assumptions are bullshit. There is a lot that I like about Beth and the representation that she's unapologetically, although she doesn't label herself as bisexual, she is. You know, she's saying, I have had relationships with women and relationships with men in the past, or at least sexual experiences with both genders, and that she's open to having relationships with both genders in the future. I think in that way, Beth is very firmly identifying herself as bisexual, but I feel like when you branch out from beyond that, that the show gets a little bit murkier with being willing to really stand behind her as a bisexual character and what that means for that community. Like you said, it's not clear what the take on Sharon's reaction is, and it's not clear how we're supposed to read Beth, I think, always, and I wish the show took a stronger supportive stance of Beth and her sexuality. Yeah, I'm biased because I do want to like Beth and I want to identify with her. So ultimately, when she says that I'm in this and I want to do this with you, I believe her. When Sharon seems like her fears are more or less calmed, I'm ready to take that at face value as well. I don't remember how much more we get of her in this season. Now we get at least one more episode to see how it goes going forward. I know it's a little unfair of me to want it, but I do wish that they would just use the word bisexual. Because some shows deliberately go either way, it seems like, to not use it. And it feels like it contributes to the invalidation and invisibility of bisexuality as not just a transition or a phase, but like, I definitively am this thing. I don't think it's at all unfair of you to want that as a viewer. Not that characters can be in transition, but I want shows to be more explicit about it. If that's the case, if she's saying, I don't subscribe to labels, tell me that. Otherwise, you need to tell me if she's supposed to be a bisexual character, because if not, you'll have ignorant viewers who will look at her and say, oh, well, it's just a face. You know what I mean? That's why I think you run the risk of. Yeah, totally. <sighs> okay. That's basically where it ends. Darren comes down the stairs and interrupts their canoodle fest 
in his tiny whiteies. But I can't help but think, how did he get down the stairs by himself in a full fucking leg cast and Sharon and them didn't even notice? <laughs> like, he's drummed out of his mind in a full leg cast and came down a flight of stairs. You would have heard him like, thunk, 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 or he would have like tucked and rolled. Like... <laughs> Right, like he just had this moment of perfectly sliding down a banister silently somehow. Yeah. <laughs> and landing like a perfect 10, yeah. Okay, so let's go to all the reunion stuff. <laughs> I think my favorite line of the episode is when <laughs> they come in to help set up for the reunion and she says, Janet, and she says, Mahandra, and she goes, Shalom! <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> racist <laughs> and uh, on multiple accounts <laughs> offensive to Jews, oh, offensive so to many. black people, just offensive. <laughs> but like we let it slide because she's an idiot. <laughs> like it wasn't earlier in the episode when she thinks her name is Janet and she corrects her and says Mahandra and she's like, "Oh, you changed your name too? I got married and changed my name." And Mahandra's like, no, that was always my name. But then she still goes and calls her Janet later. <laughs> Which, that makes me, you deliberately victimized me in high school and you don't even remember my name. I hate you. <laughs> but okay, great. <laughs> Can I talk about how, like, watching this in 2017, do you feel like there's going to come a time when high school reunions are null and void? Oh, I think Facebook is killing the high school reunion. I think you and I even talked about this because our reunion was last year and neither of us attended. Part of how I, I think you and I talked about it directly and how I explained it to other people, I don't really need to in the way that I would have. Everyone I want to know what they're up to, I know what they're up to because of Facebook and I know who has kids, I know who got married, I know what jobs people have. The basic life updates that I feel like you got from a reunion. I feel like reunions are just about showing off in a way. Like, I don't know, because I didn't go to mine. But it's just to go and be like, this is who I am now. It totally is. But even if you're the kind of person who wants to go to the reunion and show off, you've still been robbed of that moment by Facebook because everyone knows. Isn't part of the satisfaction watching their face as they realize that you've got this successful life? Now everybody's like, oh, I know, like, I saw your update. Nobody cares. Let's move on. We live in the world of the 24-hour news cycle and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I know what you're doing with your life. Everyone that I would want to talk to, I still talk to. And everyone else, I don't give a shit about. So it's fun. Right. Like, you and I live across the country from each other. We make a point to see each other a few times a year. Yeah. And I get to FaceTime with you and text you every day and, like, still feel like you're a part of my life. So. Yeah. So they all go to Gretchen's for the A-list party. None of these people. <laughs> and the A-list, we come to find out, includes Karen Tyler, Jay, and Mahandra, or shall we say Janet. <laughs> <laughs> you literally couldn't get any of your friends? Did they not come at all? Because she says her friends can't help set up. Did they even come? I'm not sure if the idea is that her friends were too busy and they actually have really impressive things going on with their lives, or if it's more maybe because she wasn't the nicest person in high school, nobody wants to stay friends with her now that they're adults. Please tell me you have feelings about Karen Tyler being at this goddamn A-list party, because... It's so weird. 
And Karen's like, I've been A-list since your sophomore year. And I'm like, what? What? At the fucking minimum. She's in her early to mid-50s. Why do you fucking care about high school hierarchy? Look around you. There are two people here. This does not matter. And it definitely felt just like kind of a blatant ploy to use the regular cast. I guess. It does say weird things about Karen. Her value of blast systems. Yeah. Yeah. Although I guess it makes sense to a degree with what we've seen from her, which is that she kind of decides what it means to be successful and like wants that for her kids. And so I guess in her worldview, being the traditional, stereotypical, popular girl in high school is a form of success and of doing well. And so in that way, she's happy to see Jay kind of ascend to that. Yeah. So I guess I can see it for Karen. I just like, it certainly doesn't do anything to build my level of respect for Karen as a mother. I just want to believe that Karen is an intelligent, successful woman. That I want her to be better than this. You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. But like basically the whole A-list party is Gretchen wanting to show off what I would call like her Instagram version of her life. And poor Gretchen, because I feel like she's trying to convince herself just as much as everyone else. And even explicitly says that she, in a lot of ways, threw the reunion for her husband, who she feels like isn't really necessarily in love with her, and they're going through some marital troubles, and she has this idea in her head that if he can see her at her best, which in her mind is in high school, being the queen bee and like kind of running the show, that it would reignite his feelings for her in some way. But I think in a lot of ways, she put the reunion on for him. Well, put it on for him, for her benefit. Oh, totally. Definitely for her ultimate benefit. But I think the intended audience for this whole thing is him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know maybe how you feel about this. I sometimes wonder if I'm wearing too much of like a social justice warrior hat. I don't want to be that person. I can't decide if Gretchen Speck, a Jew with a capital J, is humorous or offensive or both. Like, it's definitely played to humorous effect, but like, I can't decide if it straddles the line of being like, alright, it's a little much. I wrote down, her fucking ringtone is Hava Nagila. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you so extra? <laughs> like, <It's... laughs> no, that's always a tough one. Oh, yeah, it's so hard. I mean... I think it maybe does push it a little far, but I think at very least, both the show and the rest of the characters don't think that this is a charming, cute thing about her. It's clear that everyone else in the show is aware how offensive she's being, or not offensive, but there's an awareness from the show and the other characters that you're being really disingenuous, but I don't know how to socially call you out for that, so I guess keep talking about how you're Jewish. (laughs) So, I mean, there's that on the one hand, which to me at least lessens it. Yeah, the show knows that she's being ridiculous. I think it also ultimately, once we find out how negative her marriage has been, it kind of also serves to create a little bit of that sympathy for her because it makes it clear part of why she's like so heavily embraced that to a kind of offensive degree is that she's trying desperately to prove how in love with her husband that she is. Yeah, how much she's like willing to do anything for him to be anything he wants her to be. Exactly, which is obviously also not okay, and I think ultimately Gretchen's realization is that it's not okay and she needs to be herself. (laughs) I wrote down, she cries in the bathroom because Robert's not coming, and Jay goes in there. I love that Karen says, go talk to her, because I don't want to. It's like, god damn it, Karen! Like, you don't have to be here. 
you don't have to be here, but like also you're a grown woman. You're the one who has marriage and relationship experience. Why don't you go talk to her? Jay doesn't know fuck all about being married. Um, but she cries in the bathroom and I feel like Gretchen is more self-aware than Jay is. Because she says, oh, I'm just this blonde who peaked in high school who's trying to recapture her glory days. This is as on the nose as you can get. Like she might as well be staring into the camera a la Ferris Bueller. Jay does things where I'm just like, girl, you know you're full of shit, right? And Gretchen at least is like, yeah, I'm full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Then she puts on this hideous hair clip that's a rooster, and it tells her to destroy her. Which, at this point, I guess, as an audience, are we supposed to start wondering if maybe... Are they trying to instill a distrust in us with the muses, do you think? That's a good question. I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, by this point in the episode, I definitely was, oh, well, whatever Jay does to destroy her is ultimately going to fix something. So that must be why the chicken wants Jay to destroy Gretchen. It's a rooster, not a chicken. Oh, well, sorry. A rooster. I don't know the difference, but I'm sure there are livestock experts who do. (laughs) As people from Kentucky, we should stereotypically know this, but we don't. Well, like, yeah, well, yeah, I think the instinct is, oh, well, I'm sure that whatever she does ultimately will end up working out for the good. But you don't think that there's, like, a little bit of, like, the voices we start to feel like are going to give us conflicting information, or they're conflicting each other? Because they later go from destroy her to help her. Well, no, it goes from, it goes from help to destroy. I don't think that that's conflicting. I think it's just chronological. She needed to help her, and now she needs to destroy her. You couldn't have done it, obviously, in the reverse order. Right, but in the eyes of Jay, she's like, what the, what do you want from me? Because I was helping her, and now you're telling me to destroy her. I totally think in the eyes of Jay, it seems contradictory, but as an audience member, it doesn't read that way to me. Even by episode two, I am already pretty all in on the fact that this is like the universe speaking to her, and that it wants her to do what it wants her to do. But... Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. It definitely becomes really uncomfortable, I think, when the chicks ask Jay to do something negative. She hasn't had to do anything really terrible yet, I guess. They give her really vague instructions, like, destroy Gretchen, and it's like, well, her version of destroying her is just to throw a Mai Tai on her dress. Right. And she, like, very deadpan as, I destroy you. At the worst, you mildly embarrassed her in public and ruined a hideous sausage tube dress. She's, like, falling out of that dress the whole episode. I just want to grab it and, like, yank it up into her armpits because as a busty woman, I know you are uncomfortable. Right. (laughs) Which, I mean, I guess mild public embarrassment for Gretchen is probably equal to destruction, but okay. Yeah. Okay, so I guess this brings us actually to the creepy guy at the party who's been watching Gretchen. Oh, Chuck. Chuck. Yeah. And I have to say, as soon as the destruction thing happened, I was like, oh, well, this is the end for this creepy dude who's been watching Gretchen to go comfort her. And at first, I definitely expected it to go in the direction of, this is her true love. This is who she's supposed to be with. And I am so glad that it did not. Oh, hell yeah. I was really, really pleasantly surprised with how that situation played out and how Gretchen reacted to it. Yeah, the way that it happened last time, the whole thing with poor bitch, it ends up with the nurse and like, that's supposedly now that they found their true love. And so that's what you're set up to expect again, and they totally subvert it, which I really love. He basically is like, I was in all your classes with you and I can't stop thinking about you. I've thought only about you for six years and you don't remember at all who I am and we barely had a conversation together and I'm in love with you. And she's like, flattering creepy 
Which, creepy. Good response, Gretchen. <laughs> I like it because they set it up to think that, oh, it all led to her finding someone who appreciates her and loves her and sees her for the amazing thing that she is, which is what she wants and deserves. But at the end of the day, Gretchen saves herself. She gives herself her mojo back. You know what I mean? Exactly. Gretchen definitely is responsible for her own kind of destiny in that way, yes. I'm so glad that she just shuts that guy down as being a creep and is like, yeah, this helps because you've reminded me of who I am, but no, this isn't happening. You're creepy. You should have gotten over me. <laughs> right. I have no idea who you are. It's also very nice to be like, ladies, this is not what love should look like. This is crazy. <laughs> exactly. Because he's like, I was in love with you in high school. I tried to date other people. I tried to join the army. I thought maybe that would make me get over you, and it didn't. And, like, for Gretchen to just be, like, unequivocally, like, oh, that is creepy. Like, on the one hand, I'm flattered that you like me, but... You're, like, obsessed with me. So creepy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's Mace, but no connection. <laughs> <laughs> that was, like, I love that line. Yeah, no, it's very nice. It also sets you up to not know what to expect in the future with the show. Although, speaking of moments of foreshadowing true love, the phone call. Oh my, I continue to be frustrated with Eric. Less so this episode, I guess, but still on its face frustrated with this relationship. I wrote, he has, he calls it a borderline autistic thing where he counts the letters in people's names and or words. And I was just like, what a manic pixie dream boy thing for you to have. <laughs> this exists only to be like a quirky, look how quirky I am thing. Yeah. <laughs> like I have no other interesting parts of my personality. So here's this arbitrarily whimsical part of me. Right. It doesn't make me find you any more fascinating. I don't know. No, and I also was not a fan of the zoom-in on his eyeball and fireworks go off. Yeah, I have some feelings about that. Okay, so Jay borrows his phone earlier in the episode, and Heidi calls in. It was like, hello, who is this? This is his wife. And she's like, he can't come to the phone right now because he's servicing me sexually. And hangs up on her. And so Jay tells him that this has happened, and then the fireworks go off in his eyes. I think the show is telling us that, oh, wow, like, he's in love with Jay now. But I think that he's in love with her because she's doing the thing that he can't do. She's having a confrontation with Heidi. Like, he still apparently hasn't answered a single one of her phone calls. Like, deal with it. Woman up. <laughs> I don't think that he's in love with Jay for who she is. He's like, oh, you did the thing that I don't have the cojones to do, I guess. Yeah, I don't feel any investment in the Jay-Eric relationship. I don't particularly like Eric. I don't really think Jay is in a good place to be dating anyone. She clearly has a lot of stuff she needs to work out herself. And I don't have any reason to believe that Eric is not similarly messed up and in need of some self-examination. And also this idea that he's head over heels for Jay when he knows very, very little about her. It's also weird because she keeps confiding in him about the objects talking to her, and he just keeps misunderstanding what she means. She tries to tell him that the rooster boat told her to do something, and he's like, well, I didn't go to your high school, so I don't get that reference, but I guess if the rooster boat's telling you to do it, you have to do it. And I'm like, this isn't a figure of speech. She's told you before that things talk to her. Well, she tells Mahandra, too, that, like, multiple instances, that these things are talking to me and they're still talking to me. And Mahandra keeps being like, yeah, brushing it off. But in a different way. It's going over Eric's head. 
Right. I believe that Mahandra is hearing what Jay is saying, and this is her opinion on it. Her opinion on it is just sometimes, like, psychological stuff builds up, and maybe it's coming out in the form of things talking to you. You should roll with it and, like, figure it out. Eric, on the other hand, I think just fundamentally doesn't understand what Jay is saying to him. I'm saying inanimate objects that don't have a larynx are talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't get the analogy. <laughs> just like... I don't know how long you could carry this on. Like, I feel like eventually he's going to have to understand that this girl is saying, like, no, literally, a monkey statue said words to me. And now I'm <laughs> acting on it like the son of Sam Killer with the dogs. <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm comparing Jay to a Do you think that Jay would commit murder if they told her to? <laughs> Not right away, but maybe if they sang to her all night. <laughs> <laughs> would you just assume it was all going to work out? I figured it would work out good in the end. It has so far. <laughs> so I also had a very light bulb moment in watching this episode. Getting a little bit more into Eric's character, I think, which maybe will let me like him more. He says to Jay... She says, I don't want to destroy her, but I feel like I have to. And he is missing the point and doesn't realize that, like, no, literally the fucking thing is telling me to destroy her. Uh, but I don't want to and I feel like I have to. He says, certain people see you a certain way and they're from a particular time in your life. So when you're around them, you feel compelled to act a certain way that has nothing to do with who you are now. It was like getting hit over the head with the cast iron skull. I was like, he's talking about himself. Oh, yeah, totally. It's an insight into whatever might be going on with him and Heidi. Because, like, we've got to believe that if he's not answering her calls and is abandoning this marriage, that, like, fundamentally something had to have been wrong in their relationship prior to the bellhop blowjob. I think something being wrong in the relationship is probably what led to the bellhop blowjob. Like, I'm sure if we got Heidi's side of the story, there's a reason why she strayed beyond just, I just really like giving blowjobs to guys at hotels. I mean, maybe not. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, we get Heidi's reason. Uh, I, I don't remember it in great detail. I only vaguely remember it, but it's really fucking dumb. But like, you know, like, and when Harry met Sally, when Bruno Kirby says to Billy Crystal, you know, like, marriages don't break up on account of infidelity. It's just a symptom that something else is wrong. I think that that is, you know, largely true. That, like, there's something fundamentally not great in the relationship. Obviously, the infidelity is not the appropriate response to that. Talking to someone or just terminating the relationship would be much better. And I know you've alluded to Heidi's reasoning and it not being great. I haven't gotten there yet because I'm not watching <laughs> Don't ahead. watch I ahead. I, ahead. I cannot, I cannot wait for the fucking day when you hear it because I was really like, uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's an expectation on Heidi's part that he behave a certain way or an expectation that he feels that he should behave a certain way, even if that's not how Heidi actually expects him to behave, that he's rebelling against. Yeah. Well, I just feel like my read on him or my, like, what I'm, and I could be just like jumping to conclusions based on very little, is that like... In the same way that Jay is not questioning the person that she's been her whole life, like, Eric is using the blowjob incident as, like, a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, as if he had been in this relationship, perhaps his entire early teens until now, like, of course I started dating, and of course we got engaged, and of course now we're gonna get married. And, like, you never stop to be like, I don't even know if this is what I want to do. I'm just comfortable, and it is what it is. And then the blowjob happens, and it's like a moment for him to step back and be like, 
maybe I don't want to do any of this. He's falling into a similar pattern of figuring out, like, I don't know who I am anymore, and I kind of want to figure it out. Which, that's something I can, I can get on board with, and maybe I would like him better than just being the guy who is running from his fucking problems. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I definitely feel like we need to learn a lot more about Eric before I can have an informed, I guess, opinion on him. My gut reactions to him are not positive, so. Yeah. So Jay decides that she's going to say, fuck the rooster, and I'm going to do the nice thing because I feel sorry for Gretchen and I want to help her. And she tries to call Robert to tell him to come and potentially kills him, or so she thinks. And this is like the second incident of when Jay tries to do something nice of her own accord, it backfires. She tries to give the purse back because she, for some reason, thinks that this will be a nice thing to do to give back this woman's trash purse. And it leads to a (laughs) fist fight. And then she also tries to call Robert, and then he gets in a horrific car accident. So, like, both instances of her saying, dude, just do what we fucking tell you to do. Do you think that this is Destiny actively punishing her for not doing what we told her to do to try and teach her that lesson? Or do you think it's, like... I actually think that in both of those instances, it ends up contributing to the final outcome that's able to be good, weirdly enough. The fist fight, she ends up having to call Sharon. It ends up laying a groundwork for their future. And in this case, it's what leads to the husband meeting the hot Jewish paramedic who he's actually destined to be with. I feel like that is less necessary, but it felt to me like it's intended to make the audience feel better about how everything plays out with Gretchen. We're okay with it because it's obvious that both of them are going to be better off. Well, do you feel like that necessitates that the muses know that Jay is going to do these things all along? Or do you think it's like a game of chess and like every time Jay makes a move, they have to make another move and the board's always changing? I'm not sure. Because if you think of Destiny, it's supposed to be like, oh, it's a predetermined thing. It's really interesting. I am really not sure on that point. I just think it's interesting that every time it feels like something Jay does has a negative repercussion, it does kind of play into the overall positive effect of her mission. It's similar to early in the episode when she doesn't get off her ass. The act of defiance is what leads to the ultimately good outcome of her dad getting the the blood test that he needed. Right. Okay, so Jay spills a drink on her, she complies, she says, I destroy you. And Karen's like, all right, I'm out. Tries to run away because she's embarrassed by Jay. Yeah, and like tries to sneak out the back door and then inadvertently has like a heart to heart with Jay. Yeah, and I said this earlier. She says, I somehow gave you the impression I wanted a daughter like Gretchen. I wrote, gee, you think? (laughs) Like, like, is Karen really that oblivious that she doesn't see how her actions suggest that? I wanted someone confident, motivated, and blonde. Like, you want Sharon? <laughs> well married. Oh, oh, so not Sharon. <laughs> it's your kid, not a fucking list. It's like Gretchen wants the husband of her list. That was one of the best Gretchen lines and moments of the episode. She says, like, she had her list of things she wanted, and Doc was like, so he's the man of your dreams? And she says, he's the man of my list. Which is so just, like, again, on the nose of, like, this is what your problem is, Gretchen. And then, like, we see the same thing kind of manifest again with Karen. She has her list of what is a perfect daughter. And even Sharon, who fulfills all but one of her perfect daughter points, she's still not the perfect daughter, you know, because she's not the daughter of the list. And so I think part of Karen's growth in the episode is realizing that maybe, you know, similarly to Gretchen, maybe what 
I had in my mind is what I wanted in practice is not what I actually want. Right. She says, like, she's trapped in this perfect life or seemingly perfect life, and I don't want that for you. I just want you to be happy. I just don't know if it's a lesson that, like, yeah, maybe she learns it in this moment, but I don't know that it's a lasting lesson that she learns that's going to stick with her. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not fully sold that two episodes from now she's going to have changed in any way that signifies that she really learned this lesson. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I hope that we start to see some growth with Karen, because I think as it stands, she's the least interesting member of the family. Yeah. And I would like to see her kind of step up, I guess, as a character, not necessarily as a human. I want to be more interested in Karen than I am. Right now, she feels kind of two-dimensional to me. Yeah. Both of her parents, at the end of the episode, have ultimately apologized to, like, if you feel pressure because of me to be a certain way, I'm sorry. I don't want that for you. Because her dad, the very last scene is she goes to pick up her dad after a routine test, where he tells her that, like, I'm glad you ran me over because I found a blood clot in my leg that could have killed me. He says, you're my good luck charm. And he says, I'm sorry if you felt pressured to go to your high school reunion because of me. Which, like, feels more genuine when he says it than when Karen says it. You're like... Yeah, totally. But ultimately, they both say it, which is really nice. So it's a good growth moment for both the parents and for Jay to realize that maybe this idea that I have that my parents expect X, Y, and Z of me is also not entirely coming from them. Maybe it's something I'm putting on myself and saying that they're putting on me. Do you want to do a recurring segment? Do you think it's Voices of Madness or Voices of God? I still think it's like the universe kind of speaking to her, trying to make that weird subconscious wish that I'm convinced that she made come true. I still feel the same way I felt at the end of the pilot, which is that I don't think it's madness. I don't necessarily think it's God trying to get her to do good for mankind or anything. I still think it's very much about Jay for the most part, at least so far. But I do feel like it's it's some kind of, like, higher power intervening. What about you? I don't feel like it's God. But I feel like it can't just be about Jay. Because, like, too many good things happen for other people. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's definitely, like, more good than just for Jay that's happening. But I still think when you boil it down, everything so far, and we're only two episodes in, has served to help her direct relationships with, like, her family and the people around her. I think she's kind of learning that doing good and, like, being a part of the world is a necessary aspect of having good relationships with people and, you know, being involved in their lives and yada, yada, yada. I agree. I feel less that it's her subconscious now. Although if it's her subconscious, I feel like the conflicting voices being like, help her, destroy her, help her, destroy her, like, could be suggestive of a mental breakdown. Oh, or <laughs> schizophrenia. I True. don't know. True. But no, I'm leaning much more to what you're saying, that it's probably some kind of, like, fairy godmother magic of the universe. Maybe not god, but, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. The next episode is Karma Chameleon. Uh, fun fact, by the way, Pink Flamingos aired fourth on Fox because I didn't realize this. Fox not only fucked up all the time slots, they also aired episodes out of order. That's their them. thing. That's their thing. That's their thing. But yeah, so the next episode, according to the DVD, is Karma Chameleon. Okay, sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. 